Hello, online, Konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC Vegas 25. We got Yuri Prohashka versus Dominic Reyes in a fight with, hey, title implications right on the line here. Maybe for Prohashka a little more than Reyes. But it's an exciting main card with a lot of fun fights on it. But as you guys know, we will not be touching that main card whatsoever. Instead, we are all focused on the prelim portion. For those of you who might be new to the show and you might be asking yourself, why the prelims? Why not talk about the fights everybody is clamoring for, the fights people are most excited? And the answer is pretty simple. We know you guys know those fights. We know you know Yuri Prohashka and Dominic Reyes. But we know you probably don't know some of these names earlier on in the card. And we're here to break them down for you. Whether you're gambling, playing daily fantasy sports, or hey, maybe you're checking out your picks on the best pick app in the planet. That's Fanatics MMA, and they, of course, sponsor this show. Fanatics MMA, the most comprehensive MMA pick app that exists today. Fighters, bios, records, odds, all in the palm of your hands while you make your picks. Let me tell you something. The scoring system, super cool. It uses the odds to show you how you're doing. No longer do you have to worry about somebody winning your pick'em contests or winning your pick'ems with your friends by just going chalk all day. Instead, they've got to prove it with their like Fight IQ score given to you by Fanatics MMA. Make sure you download their app today. And let me tell you something a little bit later on the show. I will be telling you on how you can check your picks against me and maybe even my guest. And speaking of my guest, joining me today, you might know him as MMA Lock of the Night. You can find him all over Twitter. You can catch him on his Patreon, patreon.com slash MMA L-O-T-N. Manpreet Jazz. Manpreet, thank you so much for joining me. Dude, absolutely my pleasure. I've been looking forward to doing this one. You hit me up a couple of weeks ago, and uh, yeah, dude, it's it's super fun just honing in on the prelims, and I like this uh, approach that you're taking. You can find out, you know, the the main event and the main card from everywhere and their mother, but uh, nobody's really honing in the prelims like you are. So I'm very appreciative of that, and I'm looking forward to getting into it with you, buddy. Well, I'm absolutely looking forward to it as well. So let's waste no more time and let's get into it. And as you folks who listen each and every week know, we got to start by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Luana Pinero versus Randa Marcos. Pinero, 8-1 making her UFC debut. She KO'd Stephanie Frosto on Contender Series back in November to win her contract. Randa Marcos, meanwhile, has actually lost three straight, but those losses come to Amanda Hebas, Mackenzie Dern, and uh, Murata, who, you know, no shame in any of those losses. Obviously, this is not really uplifting for Marcos lately. You know, she's probably on the verge of losing her UFC contract. But all of those losses come against people who can either grapple her up themselves or stop her takedowns. Do you think Pinero will be able to do that same thing? See, I do expect this fight to hit the ground, but the one thing that's interesting about Ronda Marcos's approach for this fight, she actually moved down to train with Travis Luter, and that's not something that she's been doing often, right? More often than not, she's staying up there in Michigan or in Windsor, where she's originally from. Uh, but this this truly shows you, like, that she seems like a fighter that doesn't like to take take herself out of her comfort zone, and I feel as though the fact that she's gone down to Texas and training with Travis Luter and truly trying to hone her uh, jiu-jitsu game, which has kind of been like a, a bit of a weak point in her game. Game, right let's be honest like she used to go out there and grind uh chicks out but she just wasn't able to truly go out there and uh, get some mission victories or something like that and you know w- when she got submitted by um 
uh, when she got by, submitted by Mackenzie Dern, I'm sure like there's not one person in the world that was going to be uh, go out there and be like, if she hits the ground with Mackenzie Dern, she'll one be able to submit her, or two she'll be able to get out of any <laughs> submissions that are coming her way, right? But I think that was a realization for her that she really needs to f- fix up her game. She's 10, 10 and one, right? That's one of the more saltier records that you see inside the UFC. But so that that's just a the, the fact that she moved down to Luda's gym is a big sign for me that she's trying to make this one last push to you know, l- like I said, she's on a three fight losing streak if she loses this one's more than likely she's out of the ufc she's gonna have a sub 500 record and it's not the greatest look um but yeah if this fight does hit the ground man i i think she'll be okay i have a lot of question marks about pinero man she like in her last where's that six fight she's only gone in the first round she goes out there and finishes these uh these women pretty quickly and that usually leaves uh room for questioning in terms of what her cardio is going to look like if this fight does get stretched we're talking about random marcos here who has been three rounds with so many fighters. Amanda Hebas is one of them that comes to mind most recently. Kanaka Murato last time around, who I believe is a much better wrestler, a much better grappler than what Pinheiro's brown belt is going to bring to the cage. But uh, it, this should be an interesting fight. But there's so many times where we've seen like the minus 170, minus 200 UFC debutante this year fall flat on their face. Gloria DePaula is another one who's who's in a similar situation to Pinheiro, coming off the contender series with a dominant victory and falling flat on her face against Jinyu Fry in her debut. So, Rana Marcus says no pushover. She's no slouch. I think she'll be able to hold her own on the ground, but I think she'll get her best work done on the feet where she's able to just, you know, stick and move, stick and move, kind of like a herky-jerky striking style has kind of been developing over the last several years. But uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some more tools in her toolkit come uh, come Saturday night, uh, especially with that work she's doing down there in Texas. So, yeah, this is an interesting one, man. I, I'm not writing writing off Marcos right off uh, like uh, a lot of people seem to be, uh, and I think that she's going to put up a, a much more tougher fight than people are expecting. That's that's interesting too. I I had not heard that about her working with the the Michael Jordan of grappling to steal a word <laughs> to steal a word from Mike Goldberg, the old uncle Uncle Goldie on that one. Um, but but I will say this, you know, I I think you're right about. The fact that it's good that she's shoring up her grappling, you know, if her defensive grappling holds up, that's definitely a feather in her cap. But as far as I'm concerned, I, I actually think I like Pinero better on the feet here. You're right. There's the question mark about the cardio. We don't know that it's bad, but we know that it's not tested. So obviously question marks are always a bad thing. I'm still going to take Pinero here by decision just because I think she gets enough done on the feet. Who are you going with if I got a, a gun to your head pick? I, I gotta, I gotta back my fellow Canadian here, Randa Marcos. I, I feel as though she'll be able to get it done on the feet again. I, I truly question the cardio, and that's one of the first things I look into fighters. The last thing I'll say about Pinheiro, she's gone to a decision twice in her in her pro MMA career, and she's gone one and one. The one fight that she lost was a split decision loss against a girl who ended up going one and four in her next five fights and never fought again after that. So what are we truly getting here with Pinheiro? Obviously, I know that was over four years ago that she lost that fight, and sh- sure, she's made a ton of improvements. And that amount of time not to mention her working with her boyfriend uh nicholas uh i believe matthias nicolau and uh you got to believe that she's been getting better but uh, i still got question marks pro debut or sorry ufc debut against a veteran like ronda marcos i'm going to go with marcos here and i think she'll grind this one out uh decision on the feet you know push her up against the cage maybe get a couple takedowns and hopefully stay away from that jiu-jitsu pinero but i'll go with my canadian ronda marcos all right, and that brings us to our second fight, which is Kai Kamaka the third versus TJ Brown. Kamaka beat Tony Kelly in a very exciting UFC debut, followed that up by losing to Jonathan Pierce in his second fight, who we'll talk about in just a moment as well. TJ Brown, meanwhile, 0-2 in the UFC. He is coming off a decision loss to Danny Chavez back in August. Before that, he was submitted by a Marcella teen uh, from, <laughs> from Jordan, Jordan Griffin in the craziest way. 
So uh, my question for you on, in here on Kai Kamaka, you know, not to, to harp on the wrestling two fights in a row, but Kai Kamaka had a lot of trouble defending the takedown last time out against Jonathan Pierce. And TJ Brown's kind of a guy who loves to shoot a bunch of takedowns. I, is that a problem that you see here for Kai Kamaka? I do think it is, man. And the funny thing is I've been seeing around Twitter this whole week is everybody's like, I guess it's uh, TJ Brown fight week. So I'm guess I'm going to go lose some money betting on this guy. And, you know, it's hilarious to see that narrative, but you know what you're going to get with the guy. And unfortunately, sometimes he gets marcelatined, like you're saying, or sometimes uh, he gets his calf chopped off by uh, Danny Chavez for two rounds. But I think this is a great fight for him. If his chin can hold up against the Kai Kamaka that has very good striking and seems to have a, a, you know, an iron will. Um, I think that he'll be able to get the takedowns here. That's one one concern that we've been seeing in Kamaka's game, like you just brought up. And and I think that uh, you know more often than not, you got to go with the grappler. And I've seen T.J. Brown's chin hold up. I think he has the ability to kind of take the shots that Kamaka's going to be throwing at him. And uh, we are back in the UFC apex, I believe. So you know we are getting the smaller cage. I'm not a huge believer in that uh, that kind of narrative that people are putting out there, but you got to believe that it uh, favors the grappler here. So. The, the quicker that TJ Brown's able to put uh, Kai Kamaka up against the fence, the quicker he'll be able to drag him to the ground and get his jiu-jitsu game going, get his wrestling game going. And I think that's going to be a little bit too much for Kamaka here, not to mention the, the, the poorest cardio that we saw from Kamaka last time around. Like the Tony Kelly fight was absolute chaos, right? But both guys were definitely wearing it going into that third round. Uh, but I think that Jonathan Pierce played a very, very smart taking Kamaka down at the end of that second round and then just absolutely putting it on him. And I'm expecting TJ Brown to do the same thing here. I think he's a solid dog spot. It's one that I'm actually looking at, especially with me wrapping up the tape earlier today. I might be taking a shot on Brown here to go out there and, uh, you know, grind out Kamaka, maybe get a submission later in this fight. And if you guys have been following me on Twitter for a while, you guys know I love me some round three props. This is definitely a spot where you can go out there and target the round three, as I believe that uh, TJ Brown could potentially finish him the later this fight goes. I really love what you said there, too, about the cardio. It's a totally underrated part of this because I think Kai Kamaka's cardio is good, but I don't think it's good after he's defended wrestling attempt after wrestling attempt after wrestling attempt, right? Like, when he's offensive against Tony Kelly wrestling, cardio held up fairly well, right? Like, that was a chaotic fight, but it held up fairly well. When he was defending against Jonathan Pierce, he looked exhausted. Uh, And, and, you know, there could be something camp to camp and stuff like that, but... I agree with you entirely. I, I like TJ Brown here. If he does win by stoppage, it's definitely a submission. Um, but if you know, if I have to make a pick here, I, I'm going to take him by decision because I, I think, like you said, I think that grind is there and the iron will is there on the other side. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with round number two. So I mentioned at the top of the show, guys, that you can challenge me with your picks on Fanatics MMA and, hey, maybe my co-host as well because he's also on the app. Once you've set up your account, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to go to the Top Turtle MMA Twitter account. Hey, if you're not on Twitter, you could also do it on our Instagram, Top Turtle MMA. You're going to click the little link in my bio and you will see right there in the Top Turtle MMA bio, it says, play with us on Fanatics MMA. Click that link. It is going to send you to our group on Fanatics MMA for you to join and test your picks against me, test your picks against other guys who have co-hosted this show, and it's so much fun to do so. So I highly suggest if you haven't downloaded the app, you can do that at the link in the show notes as well. And make sure to check out the Top Turtle MMA group. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. 
And we're going to start this round by talking about Jonathan Pierce versus Gabriel Benitez. So Jonathan Pierce, like we talked about, just came back from a win over Kai Kamaka back in November. Before that, he had lost his UFC debut to Joe Lozon in Boston. Certainly no shame in that loss. Gabriel Benitez, meanwhile, snapped a two-fight losing streak when he knocked out Justin James with a nasty body shot his last time out. So uh, my question in this is the dynamic in this fight is Benitez kind of the striker, but it seems like he's giving up a lot of size. And I, I saw online that technically they have the same reach, which I, I'm not sure I buy that that measurement system yet. But how do you see Pierce's height and size playing against Benitez in this fight? Uh, the one thing that's actually been a big part of Benitez's game is is, is his leg kick, right? Like he, he has a, he has that southpaw stance, and his left kick up the middle just to just to the body is is huge for him. So I don't think that the size difference is going to be too big of an issue here for him. He's fought bigger guys throughout his career, uh, and I think that Jonathan Pierce, you know, technically speaking, I don't think he's the better striker here. Um, he has some good combinations. Don't get me wrong, and. You know, if you're gonna give yourself the nickname JSP, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of potential and a lot of like uh, you know lofty goals for yourself. And this is coming from a fellow Canadian, so I almost take it as a, a spit in the face to our great Canadian father, George St. Pierre. But uh, Jonathan Pierce, you know, it, it, can you really blame him for that 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 uh, Joe Lozon loss, right? Like no. like you said, going into his backyard, that Boston crowd just absolutely putting it on him, and then uh, Joe Lozon just nails him perfectly on the feet, eventually drops him, and then just takes his back, and then just pounds him up from there. But the one thing that I've been noticing in Jonathan Pierce's fight it, it seems like he doesn't take damage well like even in his win against Kai Kamaka last time around his eye was a little bit busted up and even from the ground and pound of Joe Lozon he was busting up that eye I wouldn't even be surprised if he had a broken orbital after that but uh, it, it's going to be a tough task to go out there and beat a guy that almost has double the amount of experience that you have not to mention the majority of that coming inside the UFC against the top talent in the world I believe that Gabriel Benitez has an iron chin you know the only guy to pr- finish him as of late was Sadiq Yusuf and you know, we know where Sadiq Yusuf is headed, even though he just lost his last fight to Arnold Allen. But I, I, I truly believe that Benitez will, you know, he'll be able to hold his own on the ground if Pierce is able to get the takedown, which I don't think is highly likely. And if this stays on the feet, I think that left body kick is going to be money for him here, especially against the, uh, the taller uh, Jonathan Pierce. We know the kicks are a lot easier to land at distance rather than coming in with the punches and leaving yourself exposed for possible counter strikes. So I think that we'll see a lot of the kicks be a, a big part of Gabriel Benitez's game here. And I think he's absolutely, absolutely going to torch up the body of Jonathan Pierce and that should allow him to get his hands going and then start to lay it on Pierce on the feet uh but yeah I, I really like Pierce or, or, or Benitez in the spot I think this is a gatekeeper moment for him and he's going to shut that uh, door uh, sh- uh pretty emphatically here against Jonathan Pierce and, and you think it's, it's a KO situation you, you got Benitez by KO here it's 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 tough like I, I don't want to completely write off Jonathan Pierce here right like I, I don't want to be that guy like the, the last time we saw Benitez he did finish uh, uh Justin James with the knee to the body uh obviously slam KO Humberto Bandanai but then outside of that he's never really been a knockout kind of guy so I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt I'll give Pierce the benefit of the doubt here and I'll go Benitez via decision all right and I'm actually gonna differ with you on this one I actually like Jonathan Pierce here mostly because I think one of the things about Benitez that I feel like we forgot from earlier in his career, and, and maybe it's just that it hasn't really been tested, is that he did have a lot of trouble with the takedowns earlier in his career. He gets back up well, but like he gave up like six takedowns to Clay Collard and nine takedowns to Enrique Barzola, and like he gave down up takedowns to Jason Knight, and he like 
the the path to take him down has been there in the past. And yeah, he's he hasn't let up one recently, but that's because he fought Sadiq Youssef, who doesn't wrestle, and Omar Morales, who doesn't wrestle, and Justin James, who probably should wrestle but doesn't wrestle. Um, and, and so like. I actually think it, it's kind of untested and it's like, it's an unknown at this point, but it's enough of an unknown for me to think I, I actually like Pierce in the spot and I'm going to take him. I, I'm going to say he actually even gets it done on the ground with either grounded pounder or sub. Uh, and that brings us to our fourth fight, which is Loma Luka Bume versus Sam Hughes. Luke Bume, two and one in the UFC. She lost to Angela Hill in her debut or in her second fight rather. And she has since bounced back and beat Jinyu Fry. Hughes, meanwhile, got TKO'd in her debut by Tisha Torres by Dr. Stoppage in between the first and second round. That was her debut back in December. So uh, my question here is that Luke Bume, while she doesn't have a ton of MMA experience, she got droves of fight experience, right? Tons of Muay Thai fights. And she's so good in the clinch with both the trips and the knees and everything. Does Sam Hughes have to stay away from her in order to win this fight? Or is there a path to her engaging in either grappling or getting in the clinch that still works for Hughes? I think the best way for Sam Hughes to win this fight is if she actually gets this fight to the ground, but she's going to go through hell, fire, and brimstone to get there, right? Like, you're talking about a crazy Muay Thai artist in Loma Lukbumi, who just, like, obviously, like, we're talking about great uh, light kicks, great work in the clinch, is able to kind of bully po- uh, opponents in there, even at her, like, uh, 5-1 frame, right? She's very small, but she has a lot of power. She has a lot of, uh, you know, viciousness in her Muay Thai clinches, which is why she's able to beat up a lot of women with her knees and her elbows uh, as we saw in the Jinyu Fry fight, that was a that was a bit of an eye opener for me, right? Like Jinyu Fry is stacked at this 115 pound division, even though she's an atom weight, just as Loma looked when me should be as well. But uh, the way that Loma was able to kind of control her in the clinch and get her own shots off and get off the cage and you know dig for the under- underhooks and then eventually get the Muay Thai plum and, and get her knees off, that was very very impressive to me. The the one kind of a uh, red flag though was like when Jinyu Fry came out in that third round and we saw her just get the takedown immediately. It was just like, okay, w- where was this in the first two rounds? Like if Sam Hughes comes out there and tries to just say, okay, I want to get this fight to the ground, how easy is it really going to be for her, right? Like it, it seems like when somebody truly wants to get Loma down, they're almost able to. It seems like Jin was a little bit too passive in those first two rounds and then she knew she needed to put it on her in that third round. And even though she didn't do too much work from on top, and we saw Loma get back to her feet and and get back to work. Um, it, it's still a concern. That was Angela Hill's path to victory in that in that fight with uh, Loma's second fight in the UFC. But Sam Hughes, like making her debut against Tasha Torres, talk about like a, a very tough debut. Not to mention on super short notice, as I believe Angela Hill had to pull out due to COVID that week. But Sam Hughes, like I, I said in my initial breakdown of there, I'm like, this is a girl that I'm going to look to bet in the future when she gets a full training camp and she gets a favorable matchup. And uh, I, I'm not looking to bet her here, even though she's like a, a huge uh, underdog at this point. Talking about plus three fifteen, plus three twenty at certain spots. I think that she's going to struggle with the tie clinch. I think she's going to struggle with closing the distance. And I think she's truly going to struggle, struggle with the leg kicks of Loma. Um, initially, I was so high on Loma. But like when she opened up at minus 280, it was quick before uh, anybody was able to get her at that line. Right now, she's uh, up in that minus 400 range. So I'm not willing to pay that chalk at this point in time. I'd say, if anything, that the value might be on Sam Hughes at this point. But uh, I just find it difficult that she's going to continuously be able to get Loma down. Like Loma's get up game seems to be improving. We still see need to see a little bit from both of them, not to mention they're both only five and two in their career, seven fights total uh, for both of these women um, or sorry, 14, if you want to add it together. But 
I got to give the advantage here to Loma. If you just want to take odds out of it, I think she's going to win. And I think she'll win by decision uh, just with that Muay Thai and ability to control the fight, even if it's inside the clinch. Hopefully she's able to keep it up and get that Muay Thai going. Yeah, I agree with you entirely. I, I think the the value is not here at all on, on Loma because she it, that number is huge, and especially for somebody who doesn't have a lot of MMA fights, like she she's got the fight experience, but you know, like it, it's a completely different fight game. I, I do like her if if I'm just making a straight up pick here, though. I I like her. I think she does. Like you said, I think she uses enough leg kicks. I think she's tough in the clinch. She probably takes two out of three rounds here. And that's going to do it for our, the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with the last two fights. So, guys, I talked to you about how they score on Fanatics MMA, which I love. I couldn't love it more. I talked to you about how you can join my personal group, which I love and I couldn't love anymore. But also, one of the awesome features about it, there's a chat function on there. Hey, maybe you haven't been watching fights with your buddy as much as you have. These are tough times. Not a lot of people getting out, sharing spaces anymore. Or, or maybe, hey, maybe your buddy moved across the country and now you want to talk to him. You can do talk with all of your buddies on Fanatics MMA because they've got a great group chat function that allows you to chat it up. You don't have to go to Twitter where it's all noise and there's tons of people talking. You don't have to go to this place, that place. All right in the palm of your hand. Fanatics MMA. Highly suggest downloading it right now. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about KB Buller versus Andreas Michalaitis. So Buller lost his UFC debut to Tom Brees. That was back in October. Andreas Michalaitis lost his UFC debut to Modestus Bukaskis. That was back in July. It was a weird in-between round stoppage where it looked like he fell out a door, which is uh, never a good look. So neither of them looked all that great in their debut. Obviously, Michalaitis is going to be coming down a weight class to fight Buller. Was, was there a performance of those two that worried you maybe a little bit more than the other one? Um... <sighs> Like when you're talking about you only get like two minutes of KB in his first fight and then you get only five minutes with Michalaitis. Like I, I, I was slightly more impressed with Michalaitis's performance just because, you know, I went five rounds. We did see him have success with the spinning fancy, you know, uh, striking style that he has. Um, with KB, like it, I'm a little bit questionable of like his regional competition. And then even in that Tom Breeze fight, right? Like the, the, the most successful thing he did was a couple leg kicks. And then once he started getting hit by the combinations of Tom Breeze, you're like, oh, there is levels to this shit. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Tom Breeze was definitely on a different level at that point in time. Uh, it, it's so hard for me to pick against a guy like KB Buller, which is like one of the two or three guys we've ever had in the UFC that were of Indian descent. And I've always wanted to be high on these guys, but like outside of Arjun Buller, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get another victory inside the UFC, but uh, KB brings an interesting style. You know, long rangey guy uh, has decent striking from the outside. has a Muay Thai approach. Obviously, has a couple jujitsu uh, moves up his sleeve, as he does have a north south choke and an anaconda choke on his record. But uh, the level of competition on the regional scene is isn't the greatest in Canada. Like when you got Matt Dwyer, former UFC fighter, you know he beat him over five rounds. That was a good one for him. Cody Cron is like a guy, sixteen to thirteen at that point in time when he fought uh, KB. But Cody Cron was kind of like that that journeyman inside in Canada's regional scene, right? It, just going out there and kind of doing the job for these uh, up and comers. So I, I'm still questionable about that. Mihalaitis, on the other hand, you're talking about a guy, you know, uh, from the MMA Masters who recently moved over there. I believe three or four fights ago now, and I believe that he's truly found a home there. And it's you know obviously very good for him to get that trying to uh, kind of training rather than just training out of Greece where. 
who else is there really, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> can you name me another Greek fighter? I, I don't think you can. Um, but uh, good for Mihal Leiders to go down to MMA Masters. I think that's a great gym for him. I, I, very tough fight for me to cap. I, I, I don't see any need to go out there and bet either guy here, right? You got like minus 240 on Andreas uh, Mihal Leiders. And I think there's a lot of that recency bias poured into this, given the fact that the last thing that people have seen from KB Buller is him getting dropped by a jab. And they're just like, oh, this guy probably doesn't, can't take a punch, right? But I think... This might even look like that Jacob Malkoon situation where he goes out there, gets dusted by Phil Hawes in his debut. Then he comes back and absolutely upsets everybody, right? Everybody's throwing Al Hassan into parlays like, oh, free money, easy money. But, like, you can't just put it down to just that. you got to stretch it further, look back at his further uh, last couple fights and not just his last performance. Um, in terms of a pick, man, this is, this is a truly tough one. As I, I really don't want to pick against Buller, but I feel like I'm a little bit more impressed with what I've been seeing from Mihalaitis. Uh, great spinning attacks, you know, seems to have that mean streak about him. Seems like he has all the tools to go out there and break a guy like KB. And, and it hurts to truly say that I'm going to be hurting all week picking a guy, picking against my Canadian and Indian brother here at KB. But I, I got to go with Mihalaitis. I think he's just going to land the better shots. He has great leg kicks. He has great spinning attacks. And he doesn't seem to worry about, you know, having to close the distance like he did against Bukowskis, you know, another big guy that he had to go up against last time around. And I think this is the better weight class for him. And I think he'll land the better shots here against Buller. And I think he, I, I don't want to say knockout, but it, it it might actually end up being a knockout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and I'm going to say the same thing. He wasn't afraid to get in Modestus Bukaskis' face. And if you're a, you're a 185-er who isn't afraid to mix it up with Modestus Bukaskis, and to be fair, probably if that dude doesn't open the door at that exact moment, probably isn't a second round against Modestus Bukaskis. Like, I just like your chances to, like, get in KB Buller's face, who seems like almost like he can be scared off a little bit by that type of aggression. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Michaelitis by knockout, too. Uh, I don't feel great about it, but I do feel great about you giving me uh, a second to talk about Arjun Buller because uh, I miss Arjun Buller. Um, you do, it. Eh? <laughs> yeah, I, I loved Arjun Buller. He was, like, one of my favorite interviewees that I used to have on. Uh, he, he's the absolute man. So, um, never, uh, nevertheless, we have a time limit. So let's get on to our last fight, which is Felipe Colares versus Luke Sanders. Colares, one and two in his last three, coming off a decision loss to Montel Jackson in January of 2020. So he's actually been on the shelf for a while. Luke Sanders, also one and two in his last three, coming off a submission loss to Nate Manis, which has sort of seen been the real thing about Luke Sanders lately, is that his submission defense just doesn't seem to be very high. He seems to put himself into bad positions. Is there any chance Kolaris can take advantage of that seemingly lack of submission defense that Luke Sanders has had of late? I, I do, man. I, I kind of do like Kolaris here as the underdog. Like, Luke Sanders is the perennial untrustworthy fighter going into a fight, right? Like, how do you get heel hooked by a Hani Yaya a minute and a half into the fight? Like, that that shouldn't happen, right? Like, you should at least give yourself a little bit more of a winning chance rather than, you know, tying up with Yaya that early in the fight. Not to mention that Patrick Williams fight, right? Even though he wins that fight, absolutely torching him in the first round, Patrick Williams goes out there, hands on his knees, going into that second round, and still lands a beautiful flying against him and almost finishes him there. But uh, there's just so many moments where Luke Sanders looks so good in the first round like the Nate Manis fight pushing the pressure the entire time landing big shots on the feet getting a couple of his takedowns you know getting his wrestling game going a little bit but then he just gets into the stupid mode where it's just like I'm going to throw letter and I don't care if I get it I'll probably survive it no you won't Luke Sanders you're probably going <laughs> to go to sleep which is exactly what happened in the Nate Manis fight Nate Manis rocks him hurts him and then follows up with that rear naked choke Um, and man you got to feel bad for anybody had the, that had the over one and a half there as that ended with one second left to, to go with the over 
one and a half. <laughs> but uh, regardless, uh, Luke Sanders has all the tools to be a great fighter, but I think the fight IQ is just lacking so much with him and that I just don't truly believe that even though he's working with those guys that fight ready, uh, Santino DeFranco and those guys, they, they've done great work with other fighters. But it just doesn't seem like Luke Sanders is going to be that fighter that, that fully forms into the, the fighter that he could be. He's 35 years old. How many improvements are we really going to see him make? Whereas Felipe Clars, on the other hand, man, this guy looks like he looks good. Possible cardio issues. Don't get me wrong, but talk about the heart and that Montel Jackson fight. Good Lord. The guy was hit with everything and the kitchen sink and was still chugging forward. Uh, you know, Montel Jackson was just absolutely just blown away by the the uh, the ability for Kolaris to eat the shots that he was. But uh, I, I like Kolaris here. I think at a certain point, we're going to get another firefight. We're going to get another exchange in the pocket. And I think that Kolaris will land a big enough shot to ground Sanders and almost pull off a, a similar victory to Nate Madison, follow up with like a, a club and sub of some sort. So uh, if the if the line for the over one, actually it is set at under two and a half, we got plus 125 on the under two and a half here. I think that's a great approach here, as I believe that Luke Sanders is one of the guys that you know either gets the kill or goes out on his shield and i think that claris will be able to want, be the one to get the finisher plus 335 on claris inside the distance is not too shabby of a line either so yeah i like the the dog claris in the spot yeah i actually i i like i, I like the dog here too i, I think claris here and i'm actually surprised he was an underdog because when i first looked at it it was like a pick em in in claris must must be I mean, is money coming in on Luke Sanders? It might be coming in on Luke Sanders, which is pretty wild to me. Because you're right, he his fight IQ just doesn't seem to be there. And and that's the biggest problem for me. And you mentioned Fight Ready. I do love Fight Ready, and I love what they're doing down there with certain fighters. But the other thing that you'll notice out of most of the fighters out of Fight Ready is their wrestling ability goes up. It skyrockets. Their wrestling gets much, much better there. You see it with Hunter Asia. You even see it with Trace Cortez. You see like all the, the folks there. Their wrestling seems to get better. But it's maybe not the best place to go for, like, jujitsu instruction. And I don't mean that as a knock on their jujitsu. I just mean, like, you're in a room full of wrestling killers. You maybe get really good at wrestling. And maybe your jujitsu stays about where it is. And for me, the gap for, for Luke Sanders is in that jujitsu, is in that. So, like, if he does get clubbed, he is going to get subbed. And maybe even if he doesn't get clubbed, he gets subbed. So... Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Kolaris and I, I think you're right. Like, uh, it, you know, if you got a gun to my head, you got a, a pick that I have to make. I'm taking him here by submission. Cause Hey, the three out of his last four losses for Luke Sanders are by submission. So, Hey, play that line all day. And that's going to do it for the end of our third round. We gave you guys six fights in, well, just a little bit over 15 minutes. I want to thank my co-host Manpreet Jazz for joining us. Once again, you guys, you can follow him on Twitter, M-M-A-O-L or L-O-T-N, Lock of the Night. And of course, make sure to check out his Patreon, patreon.com, M-M-A-L-O-T-N. Thanks so much, man, Bree. No worries, brother. I'm glad to do this and I can't wait to do it again.